partnership. The first word is strategic. Strategic. The second blank is select. Select, S-E-L-E-C-T. The next, the third blank there in that first paragraph is commissioning, C-O-M-M-I-S-S-I-O-N-I-N-G. Discipleship is the strategic impartation of biblical values to a select few with the intention of commissioning the few to disciple others. The second paragraph, the first word is cohort, C-O-H-O-R-T. Second blank is apply. Third blank is goal, G-O-A-L. And the last blank is disciple. Gathering as an intimate cohort to learn, apply, and impart biblical values with the express goal of each disciple finding someone of their own to disciple. Third paragraph, hyphenated word, disciple making. Disciple making. And the last one is believer. The process of intimate relational disciple making empowers the priesthood of every believer. And then in the final paragraph, first word is common. Second word is discipleship. On that bottom line, the third word, lives, L-I-V-E-S, and end is the last word. The common thread that makes it discipleship is that it's word-centered with application of Scripture into our everyday lives as the end goal. Over on the next page, first word in that paragraph is discipled. The next one is process. And once again, hyphenated word, disciple-maker. Disciple-maker with the understanding that the person being discipled has the conviction that the discipleship process is not complete until they become a disciple maker. That next paragraph, second paragraph down, first blank is mass, M-A-S-S. The next word down right underneath that is born, B-O-R-N. Disciples are made, not mass produced. Disciples are made, not born. It's a quote by Walter Hendrickson. The last word there in that next to last paragraph is the word discipleship. Discipleship is not a cookie cutter process. Second Timothy 2.2, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Last blank is the word measurement. The true measurement of church growth is disciple making. Strategically disciple those who are faithful, available, and teachable. The true measurement of church growth is disciple maker. Pastor Todd, welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, we're going to go through some best practices. Here we go. Number one, have your leaders read the master plan of evangelism. Pastor Todd, tell me about that book. We have all of our leaders in Chi Alpha read through, at least in Chicago, Robert E. Coleman's book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. And it's a 160-page book. It's actually rather small. Um, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever read The Master Plan of Evangelism? Right. So we got a, a, a number of us, but the vast majority of us have never read it. Maybe you've never heard of it. Well, the premise of the book is that Jesus' strategy to 
And it says the master plan of evangelism, it's a bit of a misnomer because it's about disciple making. And his plan to evangelize the entire world was to invest in a select few who in turn would go and invest in a select few and so on and so forth. And that strategic plan was um, mapped out in this book, which has sold over three and a half million copies, was written in 1963 or 1968. And Billy Graham said that there are a few other books that have helped out in the evangelization of the entire world as much as this book has, awesome. Pastor Roy. And that's, that's how, and so this book, the reason that we would encourage us to go about reading this book is that it creates culture. And culture eats strategy for breakfast. Every day. Did y'all get that? Have you heard that before? Say it again. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. All right. Got to have a great culture. All right. Our second best practice. Begin small. Invite a group of hand-picked individuals to join you for your personal devotional time. You raise up the first few disciple makers. Pastor Todd, talk to me about that best practice. Yeah. If we are going to see culture change in our church, it's going to start with us as the leaders. And we have to, in fact, Robert E. Coleman's book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, he talks about demonstration, how Jesus demonstrated what he taught. And so I think it's very vitally important that it starts with us. If we want culture to be created in our church, then it's going to start with us taking out that time and us taking as pastors, two or three leaders in our congregation and sitting down with them and pouring into them intentionally, strategically, and letting them see you do it. And I think one of those ways, Pastor Roy, is inviting them in and even like letting them see you, um, how do you do your devotions? Mm-hmm. How do you go about leading at home? Um, why do you personally give to missions and how does that look and why? And, and actually let them see you do it, demonstrate it, and then actually go about explaining it. And that is how things are imparted. But it starts with us. In Chi Alpha, we, we talk a lot about life-on-life discipleship. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, not only did he demonstrate discipleship and what it looked like, but he also associated with his people. He spent a significant amount of time with them. And you may be thinking like, man, I don't know if I have that much time to be doing life on life. Well, we don't have time to make disciples then because that's what discipleship is. It's not a just once a week meeting. It is the imparting of ourselves to others. And again, you want to find those faithful, available, teachable individuals. And Cotter's um, eight steps to creating change, one of them is building a strong coalition. So if we want to see it flow in our churches, you grab those influencers, you influence them, impart that vision to them, and then that's when you can spread from there. But it has to start with us. So I can't just do a sermon series on discipleship in my church and then have a discipleship culture suddenly erupt? No, that, that's part of it. That's yeah. part of it because you're putting good DNA out there. Mm-hmm. But again, if we want culture to really catch fire and spread, and we want it to become contagious and reproducible, then it's going to have to start, and we have to play the long game by putting in that work. And when we do it the way that Jesus did it, if I can put it that way, then the retention is so much stronger, and what we impart is that much more reproducible. 
And so we teach what we know, Jack Frost said, yeah, but, we, but we impart who we are. Yeah. And so if we're going to impart that, it's going to come through life on life. So earlier in the worship section, Pastor Todd, they said that the pastor is the chief worshiper. So could I say the pastor is the chief? Discipler. Discipler. Disciple maker. And so I think it's crucial that a pastor have a small group that they are intimately engaged with, that they are leading through the process of discipleship. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So you have to begin this small and then grow it large. Yep. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. Good. All right. And Pastor Roy, can I, can I share briefly yeah, like why we start small, but you've heard it before. If you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. Mm -hmm. And so there's an illustration you may have heard before. And I'll make this quick that if you had a super evangelist, if you were just the greatest preacher ever, and you were leading people to Jesus every single day. In fact, not just people, about a thousand people to Jesus every single day of the year. At the end of one year, you're going to have 365,000 people saved. At the end of two years, that's, uh, what is that, about 730,000 people saved. At the end of 25 years, you would have brought 9 million people into the kingdom by yourself, leading them to Jesus, 1,000 a day. But if you just took one individual you poured into strategically, one year, one a year, and you imparted to that individual, I want you to go next year and find someone to disciple, and I will do the same. Within 25 years, we're talking 33 million people in the kingdom, but not 33 million souls, 33 million soul winners. Yeah, disciple makers. That's the strategy that Jesus has called us to import. So we're, we are increasing the kingdom, not by addition, but by multiplication. By, by multiplication. That's right. So... Start small, get big. Yep. Mm -hmm. Amen? Amen? Good. Number three, our third best practice. Uh, utilize the small circle discipleship app. Uh, Pastor Todd, I want to speak to this one because yep. uh, some of you don't know about this app. Very simple app. If you have your phone right now, uh, one of the things that I searched for, uh, Pastor Todd, most often was, okay, what do I use? What tool? What resource? What book? What, uh, what book of the Bible? Uh, or certainly early in my ministry, um, it, it was the search for the right, uh, the right tool, mm -hmm. the right, right, right door, the right input place. We, we looked for many, many, I don't know, many years and finally stumbled upon this little app, Small Circle Discipleship. If you'll search it in your app store with no space, S-M-A-L-L-C-I-R-C-L-E, don't put a space in it, it'll come up. It's a little red circle. It's free. It is a great, and it's not Pentecostal, it's a great foundational biblical truth discipleship tool. It's a church out in California that developed it. We actually were on the ground floor with them as they were developing it. And it's completely free if they do it on the phone. It creates, it will train your disciple maker and it will then track where your disciple is moving through, it creates a community just for your church that is unique to you so that you as the pastor can see which disciple makers are meeting with their disciples. It's intended for one-on-one -on -one discipleship. It can be used remotely so that people can either use it face-to-face -face or they can do it over whatever distance. It is a great 12-week basic discipleship process. Then there is a second level, also free, that's a year-long, that's intense. And then there's a third level, all of which are available in written book form. But if you use it in written form, you have to pay for the books. So small circle discipleship is a great tool. We always had to add to it uh, our Pentecostal distinctives. 
But if you're looking for a right-in-your-hand, free resource on your phone to accomplish one-on-one -on -one beginning discipleship with individuals, small circle discipleship, it's a great tool to use. So I want to encourage you to do that. Number four, utilize Planning Center uh, to create uh, workflows for discipleship. Let me, let me explain this one to you as well. The Planning Center has nothing to do with the material. But Planning Center, in, they have multiple modules. One of them is attendance. Another one is, is plans. And like we're using Planning Center. We have Planning Center running a clock that I'm advancing from my phone on our speakers so that it, it tells us how much more time we have for each one. Planning Center is great at that. But it's also got a people module where you can assign tasks to individual. You could create a workflow for all of your discipleship process. Week one, week two, week three, week four. Planning Center will send out emails. It will keep track of who's completed week one. It will remind your disciple makers. So Planning Center is a great workflow program that, will, that you can use for discipleship. You can use it for visitor follow-up. You can use it. It is not just uh, for tracking you know, who was in church you can create what's called a workflow for any systematic thing you do in your church. And discipleship is a systematic process. Planning Center will help you create an accountability structure both for your disciple maker and your disciples so that you know who is progressing through a discipleship process. It doesn't have to be, well, I hope they're doing it. You'll know they're doing it and it'll give you something that you can put concrete assessment tools in the hands of those that are, uh, that are responsible for making sure discipleship is taking place. So utilize Planning Center. Number five uh, is our last one here. Uh, introduce DNA of a leader to your church. Um, those of you, how many of you have not been through a DNA of a leader course? Let me see your hands if you've not. So I would say the majority of our people. DNA of a leader sounds like leadership training. It is not. Uh, it is, and, and Jake's going to come in our last session and talk about it a little bit. DNA of a leader, to me, is personal discipleship. It's you being responsible for your own discipleship and raising up uh, the stewardship of multiple areas in an individual's life. All right? Um, it's just a great tool. We'll talk about it more in the last session, but introduce DNA of a leader. Now, Pastor Todd, you've been doing, you've been doing uh, discipleship there on the University of, I, uh, University of Illinois. Talk to me about, because we've rushed through these so we, so we could have some more time. Yeah. Talk to me about uh, what makes discipleship work, because there's not anyone here that wouldn't agree that discipleship is important. Mm -hmm. But there probably wouldn't either be anyone in here that would say, it's the easiest thing we do. I mean, people just migrate towards it. It's so effective. It just, people are lining up to. So what have you found? What, what, makes, it, what makes it successful? And then what makes it unsuccessful? What, what have you found to be the principles? Or just share anything that you think our folks need. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times, <clears throat> Pastor Roy, I like to see discipleship broken down. I think we often break it down into um, three things. Like, so there's the mandate of making disciples. That is, we've been called to do it. And we have to first get that. And we're all here because we get that. That's not a question. Go and make disciples. So there's the mandate. And then there's the methodology. Um, and it has to do with, with how. And um, I, I think within Chi Alpha and others who would speak to this where they've seen it effective, I think that the simplicity 
of small group. And I don't mean necessarily small group in terms of what we talked about earlier. I think that is part of it, but more in terms of the size. I'm talking one-on-one, one-on-two. I call them micro groups. Just being efficient and selective in who we are pouring into strategically and continuously casting the vision that I am pouring into you I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for the person that you are going to be pouring into. Mm-hmm. And we use that type of language. And I think that is um, the thing that really helps it to scale and for it to stick. And that is keeping it at, a, um, at a, an intimate level when it comes to the, the size of the group that you choose to pour into. Mm-hmm. So that's the methodology. And we saw that with Jesus. Um, he had 12, but he even focused primarily on those three, and so it's the time spent. I just think that is huge, and I think we understand here we're all busy, and time is at a premium, and that's why you want to be very strategic um, about who you pour into. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is, so you have the mandate, you have the methodology, but then there's the material, and that is not just how, but what, it, what are we going to uh, give out And how are we going to disciple them? What material are we going to use? And you mentioned some things already. And hopefully, as we walk away, we will have that. But I I tell our people the secret sauce is not the content, the curriculum, the material. The secret sauce is the surrendered lifestyle of the disciple maker. Mm. That's the secret sauce. The surrendered lifestyle and the commitment and the conviction that they are going to go the long haul and pouring into someone who would then go do the same. Let me take something you said, and you, I'll make a statement. You tell me if I'm correct. You cannot disciple someone in something that you yourself have not correct. become a disciple mm-hmm. in. So this is, you know, that old, old thing that your mom used to tell you, hey, you, you do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. Will that work in disciple making? No, it's, it's going to certainly arrest the development and the flow of the disciple making process in your church in your community, in your mission. Again, it comes from, because a lot of the disciple making, it is life on life. Mm -hmm. True disciple making is life on life. And so that's what you are imparting just by spending time and letting them see you live out the kingdom principles in your life. So a great, and, and I don't know if people have thought about this, Pastor Todd, but a great motivation, a vision that you could share with your people is the reason that you need to grow deep in your faith is because you have a sense of responsibility to those that you're going to be discipling because they are going to be what you are. You are replicating your life in the life of another one. And man, that's a, that's a weighty motivation to, come on, I need to learn the word. Well, in John 17, Jesus said, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Mm-hmm. And he was speaking to that sense of responsibility. And that was the thing that was a driving force behind keeping our Lord and Savior sharp and on mission. And I would say this to something else we do in Chi Alpha. Again, um, we we have our small groups, but our small groups are there so that we can cultivate fellowship, community, discipleship, those things. But we have those micro groups. We find those individuals that we can pour into and give a couple of hours, if you will, throughout the week of classroom disciple making and discipleship. But then we're going to spend time with them and do life with them. But along the process, we are telling them, now you're coming along with us. What I've been doing, I now want to watch you do it. Mm. 
and then I'm going to give you some, um, some feedback and encouragement, et cetera. Then I'm going to let you do it, and then you come back and you tell me. But responsibility is huge because we delegate responsibility to create maturity. And I think it's important that when you go as pastors and you go and you make those visits to the hospital, um, take that person with you that you are discipling. And Pastor Toledo was really good about that, whether it was counseling sessions or whatever it may be. Have me be along with him, and then he'll tell me afterwards what he did and why he did it, and then um, he would train me to go and do it as well. And so bring them along with you because responsibility is the miracle growth. Awesome, awesome. Well, guys, we're going to move into some question and answer time. Uh, what are your questions in the area of discipleship? We have either worn them out, Pastor Todd, or the content was so superb that we have answered every question. I tend to think probably both of those. I was thinking seventy percent both of those. Exhaustion, thirty percent, you know, inspiration. Then we got, got a one hand over there. Got a couple. Pastor Chris. So when it comes to like the the micro group discipleship. Can you talk about how you connect that to broader community? One of the things that I think I've, I've experienced uh, over time and uh, I'm just kind of like conscious of is like, you know, all of us are going to have weaknesses, right? No matter how submitted our lives are, we're not perfect like Jesus. And so how do you use, make sure that we're in community enough so that you're not literally building in like the same weaknesses uh, that you have and you're like in community where other folks in community may be strong in those places where you're not. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great question. And well, again, we do like small groups where there's someone mentioned earlier, like the optimal size is like four to 12. We're about in that range too when it comes to our small groups, weekly gatherings, we get together and that's for outreach. We have people in the small groups who are not Christian, et cetera, but within a small group, the leader will have, as you mentioned, the micro group where he has one or she has one or two others that they are pouring into. So how do you connect them to the larger community? Number one, hopefully in our context, they would be part of a small group already but then we also have the larger community for you all. For us, it's like our large group worship meeting at the local church level. It's church. It's other outreaches that you do. It's fellowship. And so we encourage our leaders and we train them. And we use this language, triangulate. And what that means is I might know Pastor Roy and we're meeting up and we're meeting for discipleship. We're getting into the word and we are looking to apply it to our lives. But it doesn't stop there. I'm going to bring Pastor Chris along and we're going to hang out and I want you guys to get to know each other because to the extent that they are involved in community, to that extent they are seeing Jesus in each other's lives through different angles and he, you're going to bring something that I cannot bring and, and, and I'm going to bring something that you can't bring. And so that creates a deep sense of community, belonging, and also think it gives a, a richer discipleship experience as well. So when it comes to the individuals that you do one-on-one -on -one discipleship, how do you prioritize which leaders that you're going to invest the most time in? And what's the line between investing in people that are pursuing it or people that you have to kind of chase after in order for them to actually meet with you for one-on-one? -on -one? Yeah, that's a great question. And 
And Pastor, you can also speak to this, but I would, I would say that acronym, faithful, available, teachable. We also say faithful, available, intentional, teachable, and hungry. Faith, I think, is a better acronym we like to go with. But that being said, that's, we, we prioritize. How do you vet that? For us, we start the school year out um, in late August. And so we take that first month and strategically, that's like our reach phase. That's where we go and we reach and we connect and people are coming in, new students or returning students. And, and, and what we do during that time is we're meeting up with them one-on-one with no strings attached. There's, we're not meeting for, we're not going through a curriculum, but for that first month, we're just building relationship. We are talking about, hey, what is Jesus doing in your life? And you're discerning who's hungry. You're discerning, are they showing up consistently? Are they coming on time? Are they, are they um, last minute changing plans, saying that they can't make it? All those things, and at the end of that month, we talk amongst ourselves as leaders, and the leader would come and pray. So prayer was what Jesus did. He prayed to see who he should pour into. And, and also, of course, if they are teachable. And so if they check those boxes, then you, we present to them, hey, we're going to go through a curriculum. We're going to march through this. These are the tracks that we are going to go down. Can you commit to meeting up weekly at this time um, with these terms? And we trust at that point that we vetted it enough to know if these people are going to stick. It does, it's not 100% guarantee, but we try to do our part and trust God to do the rest. And Zach, good question. I would also say as we wait for another question that Jesus, when he was selective, he, did, he, he picked non-Pharisees, he picked non-Sadducees, he picked those who were, were, would be teachable and mm-hmm. who he could start um, and impart some things to almost from a, with a clean slate. And so I think that was very poignant, the fact that Robert E. Coleman also points that out, finding those who would be teachable. Mm-hmm. Um, faithful, available, teachable is the short one. The other one was faithful, available, Intentional, are they initiating some things teachable and hungry? Excellent. Any other questions? Guys, let me give you a visual image of something that, that we pulled off to some extent. Uh, it never grew to the point that I wanted, but some of you could take this and I think make such a powerful discipleship culture. Uh, one of the things that I love to do, but I surrendered, is I loved, I loved for years doing all the baptisms in our church. I was the pastor. It's my right to baptize anybody who wants to get baptized. All right? If you're getting in the water, it's my water. You get, you know, all right. That's the way I felt about it. All right? Uh, when we began to work to, instead of just counting the number of people saved, to start counting the number of people that were discipled, we used baptism in water as the culmination of that process. We, we, we wanted them to go through a discipleship process. And when they did that, I quit doing the baptisms. And I asked the person who had discipled them to do the baptism. Mm. And the, we got one deep in this. I wanted to get like 10 deep where then there would become a spiritual genealogy so that the person that got baptized would then go Todd and become a disciple maker and that they would then bring someone to be baptized mm-hmm. and the one who had baptized them would be standing there and then the one do and I wanted to get to the place where there were like multi-generational like six people deep you know legacies 
and then create a culture of competition. Yeah. Man, look at that guy. He's got like six people in his line. I don't, I, I got to get somebody. I want to baptize somebody. We didn't get there, but hey, we're competitive about everything else. That's right. Why not decide? Yeah. I want to disciple more people than anybody else yeah. is discipled. I mean, yeah. meaningful, you know. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to rush you through this because Thursday's coming. We're doing baptism. No, but why not? Why not create a culture where, and pastor, allowing the per you say, well, they're not credentialed. Well, I don't, Pastor Phil, I don't know of anything that says you need to be credentialed to baptize people in water. And suddenly you've elevated the role of the disciple maker in that person's life. And it becomes powerfully meaningful. To yes. And in fact, it's, it's funny you had mentioned that just last night, just last night. I came up this morning because last night we had a baptism service on Northwestern University's campus. We had a half dozen students from across the city get water baptized. Last night. And that was the first Before night. Before the front came through or after? What's that? Before oh. that cold front came through? No, it, it was, it was um, right in the middle of it, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because that's a real no, meaningful. We, we didn't do it in the lake. Oh, we, no, it wasn't in the lake. You know who loves Jesus It was indoors. And it was amazing because that was the first time. And I've been doing Kayaf in Chicago for over 10 years now. And we have our staff do the baptisms. And, and we, will also, we will have the um, person who led them to Jesus or a student who was the, um, the small group leader pray over them before the staff person would, would mm-hmm. do the baptisms. Um, and that's something that we've been doing. We've had that like transgenerational like yeah. tree legacy we've been seeing. But last night was the first night of all these that I've not had to baptize one person because we have that in our culture and it's yeah. starting to really um, happen and take off. And it's a really, really um, powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other questions? All right, guys. Well, listen, come Can on, I give it up for one? Pastor Todd. What, was there another one? Oh, I'm so sorry. We got 46 seconds. Yeah, 46 seconds. I want to, um, if, again, I think the material side of it, sometimes we struggle with. Like, I was going to do this for you. I'll go I for didn't. it. Hey, listen, there is a great resource <laughs> written by a very good friend of mine named Todd Lucas called Core Four. Pastor Todd, tell him about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Core Four is it's a discipleship. Um, curriculum that you know, it's, it's based around four critical kingdom values. And we co-opted this from National Chi Alpha's four puzzle pieces of healthy leaders. And that's holistic discipleship means that you're going to be healthy. And we touch on things like um, abiding in Jesus. That's what makes you healthy, number one. Um, and there's a number of other things. The other thing it touches on is spirit empowerment. And so everyone that goes through this will have a baseline understanding of Pentecostal theology. We used to use some navigator stuff, which was really good, but it wasn't Pentecostal friendly. So this is in-house. And it, the other two are cross-cultural missions. And every person that goes through this will learn about unreached people groups and every person gives, every person prays, every person goes. And finally, disciple making groups. And at the end, everyone does a project where they have to create a disciple tree. Who discipled you? Who discipled yeah. that person? And who are you discipling next? The discipleship process is not over. It was never over, but the discipleship process really hasn't begun until the person you've discipled is now going to start making disciples. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. How do they get the book, Pastor Todd? Um, you can email me at Todd at ChicagoXA.org, and we have a couple of devotionals that have been contributed by a couple of local pastors in here as well. Todd at X- Ch- Chicago XA. Chicago Chi Alpha. Yep. Todd at ChicagoXA.org. Dot org. Dot org. Mm-hmm. And Pastor Todd can get you those.